I got a call from from someone one time, and they're like, "Yeah, I was just driving. I was an anchor. She's an anchor, and she's like, I was just driving down the road, and I saw this this young native kid just like with a trickster company basketball walking down the road, like, and that's just it was it was the simplicity of 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 it, like, of being engaged with a culture. That's the, the simplicity and innocence of it, like without it having to be like overconflated to like, um, or there's a lot of like stress about, uh, there's a lot of stress because of colonialism. And so like recovering from colonialism, like what is post-colonialism? And so there's a lot of like, uh, like language revitalization, there's, there's, you know, learning all your stories. And so you know, being engaged with the call, going to going to ceremonies and doing those properly, learning how to. There's a lot, and sometimes that can be like really overwhelming to be like, okay, we we gotta like be engaged with the culture and save it and save the language and whatnot. And that's like a huge like heavy weight for, I think, a lot of um, uh, young native people. But it's like, I think it's important to have those those simple moments of like engaging with the culture just just that simple like mm-hmm. just walking down the road with 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 something that represents that that you're excited about being engaged with native culture or art that was Rico Whirl he owns a business in Juneau that aims to distribute money spent on Alaska native art back into Alaska native communities his business is called Trickster for the raven in Alaska native culture that represents the creator and is always playing tricks. Trickster began as a skateboard company, so there's that association too. In fact, the idea for it started when Rico painted his clan crest onto his longboard and skated around Juno. Before the pandemic, Juno saw about a million tourists a year, many of which purchased what Rico calls knockoff Alaska native art. A small percent of that money actually goes back to the communities that developed the art form. Rico recognized this and came up with a plan. He would design and sell art that blends modern and traditional styles and make sure the proceeds go back to the Alaska Native communities from which they came. So here he is, Rico Whirl. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum. Dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas. Past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. On your website, your title is Clinkit slash Athabascan social designer and artist with training in anthropology. What does it mean to be a social designer? Yeah, so um, I got my undergrad in anthropology, and when I came home, I was kind of expecting to go further into anthropology, maybe even um, kind of into the intersections of anthropology and, and law with the idea of uh, that I would be working on maybe repatriation of, of clinket items back uh, to bring them back home from museums, mm-hmm. and uh, and when I got when I started working, when I got back, uh, I started doing some of that, and I started spending a lot of time with with these items in the museums, and which was which is 
really a blessing to be able to do to be able to see these uh, these master works by you know by the old masters you know up close and I get to got to like with gloves of course hold them and like study them you know look at the the underside look at the inside things that you don't really get to do when when with a lot of the, the pictures of museum pieces or pieces in display mm-hmm. so um that's sort of the connection came with the with the the creative or design side of it um and specifically as a as a anthropologist i wanted to also assess kind of like the the social issues around around those things and maybe try and find solutions or at least um you know counter uh counter actions i don't know if that makes sense but like yeah you know if there's if there's if there's if there's a tourism industry and it's like you know taking it's selling knockoff native art i don't know if i could solve knockoff native art but maybe i can create uh my own work that would meet the needs of that tourist industry mm-hmm. um so the way i see design versus just uh, versus art is design is is focused on on problems. It's, so it's designing solutions to problems is is the way I see uh, the way that design should function and um, or, or it should originate from there. Mm-hmm. And so when I bring that together with my anthropology background, that's sort of like where I'm like, okay, as an anthropologist, I look at these social situations we're in in our communities and as a designer i'm like okay what kind of things can i make to to approach these issues Mm. so did something happen along the way that made you change paths from that original idea of repatriation of items from museums yeah my my path kind of changed along the way just because i was because I was surrounded by so much amazing artwork, um, I spent more and more time with these pieces. And naturally, I don't think you could help but be inspired by them. And so I started doing more creative stuff myself. Um, and as, as I did that, at the same time, um, I was working at Sea Alaska Heritage Institute. And that's where I was doing kind of a little bit of that repatriation work. Mm-hmm. Um, there was discussions about starting a department to to support the artists. So um, kind of the kind of working, they'd done a lot of like work in revitalizing language in Southeast Alaska, and they wanted to also work with artists. So uh, with my previous experience at SHI, as well as like having having started to experiment and be a bit of an artist um it was an easy transformation for me to go in and be like oh yeah i could help you know create this department so we created the whole new department at at, at shi that's uh, that was specifically the arts department to focus on um promoting native arts and that only increased how much i was engaged with the arts and how much more art i saw mm-hmm. um this time around more focused on 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 um artists that are, that are that are out there and working out there right now and training new artists. And, 
focusing really on, on establishing kind of foundations of, of arts in our communities. Mm -hmm. I always think it's so interesting and cool when, because this happened with me as well, where I'm in college and I'm going for a journalism degree and I'm thinking in my head that I just have to be in newspaper writing or magazine writing. You know, I think that there's a, a specific path that I have to follow and then I get out of college and then it takes a little while to kind of get your bearings straight and understand uh, kind of the motions of the world. But then you realize like, hey, I can do other things with this degree. And it kind of sounds like maybe something a little similar happened with you where you're going for anthropology, you graduate, you're going for, or th at least thinking about going for something that's a little bit more traditional. And then you realize like, hey, this is way more my speed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it, it was definitely a, a long kind of path of, of discovery for myself. But um, I, I, I feel like I feel like it was, it was, this is like the, the path that is most fulfilling for me. And I'm, it's, it's been pretty great. What do you think were some of the most eye-opening experiences during that path of discovery that you just talked about? Um, so I kind of mentioned earlier about like, just kind of touched on it, the, the idea of like knockoff art being sold and um, Juno's uh, we're a small town, but we get, um, at least pre-pandemic, we had, a, you know, n around a million tourists every year come in to, to Juneau. Mm -hmm. And there's a, it's a very big tourism market and there's a lot of money that goes through it and uh, a lot of money that goes through it, it through knockoff native art and a very, a very, very small percent of it, you know, goes to goes back to the community that spent you know thousands of years developing this art form so you know we did kind of some things where we uh, tried to like promote more enforcement of um i think it's called the native arts and crafts act where where they they it's illegal to like sort of present it as authentic so it's not that they can't sell those things it's that they can't say that they're authentic and you know, there's a lot of ways they can kind of wiggle around that. They can kind of be like, we didn't say it was anything, you know, we just sold it to them mm -hmm. and we just put it in front of them. And um, so I spent a lot of time like thinking about that. And I was like, okay, well, what if we just come around the other way, way and just like, what if we create products that, that, uh, that outcompete those ones? Um, you know, we, we, we can create, products for the tourism industry. And that's when I, um, the first obvious one was, that's when I, I decided to um, make a deck of playing cards. Like there, you always see playing cards at, at tourist shops. And so I was like, one, I could make it, I could make it more authentic. I could make it better form line. I could make it, um, uh, you know, the, all, all of the, the, those proceeds returned back stay within the native community so um that was sort of the, the the first major step i took towards um developing trickster company what did that deck of playing cards look like 
Um, so when I was growing up, I always, I always like, I, I played cards a lot with my cousins, and um, I had a few decks that had native art on the back, and uh, it would just be, you know, it'd be a nice piece on the back. Maybe they'd even, even commission a native artist, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but then the front of the cards would still look like regular deck of playing cards. So it'd be um, like westernized kings and queens and whatnot, and that was yeah. like that. That also is like a symbol to me of like. Um, how could I make this, you know, uh, another opportunity for me to be like, how can I indigenize this? And so, mm -hmm. um, I designed all the face cards to have, um, uh, native designs on them. They, they sort of, they, they do sort of, um, riff off of traditional playing cards. They're all human figures. The, there's, there's still, um, the, the one-eyed Jack, the, queens all ca carry flowers with them there's still things that i kind of reference um but it's all it's all native art on on the face cards the aces and then um then i did a second deck I, I i went through kickstarter actually to get the project funded and i did a second deck um which had the clinket language in place of all the numbers uh across the entire deck so um I just tried to indigenize it as much as I could. Do you feel like you do that often, indigenize things? I think so. Actually, the first products that I that I did, I think, were in line with that. But um, when I when I came home after college during that that time when I was doing more of the repatriation kind of work, I I. I also took up longboarding, and I mean, I never got very good at it or, or anything, but it was it was a hobby that I had at the time, and I decided to sand off my deck and then paint uh, my clan crest on there, mm -hmm. kind of with the idea of like I just wanted to represent in 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 a in a day to day activity that was meaning meaningful to me uh, at the time, and. Um, I guess it was it was it was um a way to yeah to just represent my identity in 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 my modern lifestyle and I guess that's sort of the the most common way that I like to indigenize things is just is just um you know make it lifestyle compatible like modern lifestyle compatible like be able to uh have items that are indigenous but also reflect the the way that we live today or the hobbies that we enjoy or the, the, the yeah yeah i think that's really cool you know i uh i was wondering did you still skate around with that longboard yeah yeah i did you weren't worried about scratching it up <laughs> no <laughs> you know there's this um there, there's this uh kind of uh, interesting dichotomy that happens with with clinket art, and it was actually something that studying uh, objects in museums helped me kind of kind of comprehend later. Is like is it was always weird for clinket people to come see these like old pieces in a museum, and 
sometimes the museums would be like, oh, but there was a fire after we took this, so like really we saved it for you guys. And it's like, yeah, okay, maybe kind of, you can, you can say that, sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, traditionally we never had a problem with letting um, art and um, objects you know, have their life and then and then return to the earth afterwards. So everything, you know, we're always taught everything has a spirit. And so if a say a totem pole was carved and it, it represented this clan and these stories and it did a great job for however many years, when it started to deteriorate too much, they would they would uh, depends on the region, but either they would take it back to the forest and let it like return to the earth there, or they would um, take it to the beach and and burn it there. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like art being these static things, or or you, any object being these static things, is is not something that was like ever traditionally ingrained in me, anyways. So the fact that um, that my board, or um, at the start, all my products, all my boards that I made were hand painted and I had a number of people collect them just to hang them or to use them. Um, you know, as long as they lived the life that like, that, that fulfilled them and the, the relationship to the person that they were relating to was the most important part to me. Yeah. Not a, a static life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a, a complete one. It like fulfills what it's meant to do, whether it is hang on the wall or, you know, be outside and play. And you're in Juno, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're cruising around with this this longboard with your clan crest on it, did anybody comment on the graphic? Yeah, I think so. I, I think you know, generally people were excited to see that, and they they liked it. Um, and that's this is often the part where I kind of like. Uh, use as as the the story starter of how I started Trickster Company is like I, I made that one people liked it I made one for my cousin his cousins liked it and like it it just it caught people's like excitement for some reason I, I think it's the maybe it's the juxtaposition of of a traditional art on on a skateboard being something very not traditional. Where did the name Trickster come from? Mm. Let me think for a minute. Um, there was... Uh, oh, that feels like so long ago now. <laughs> um, when I first started, I, I played with a number of, of, of names for the for the brand and then at some point i thought i was just going to be a skateboard company so it was it was trickster skateboards at the start and it it felt like a clever play on 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 you know having a tie to tradition but also like you do tricks on skateboards Mm -hmm. um so that that was that was kind of fun and um yeah, I'm not sure when that name first came up, but it it seemed like an obvious one once I found it. When did you get into skateboarding? Right about the time I got back home from college. And what did that look like? Were you going to 
the Pipeline Skate Park in Juneau, or were you maybe cruising around the streets? Yeah, it was it was just around my neighborhood, okay. and I never really got like very good at it or like too far into it. Um, that was just around the neighborhood, uh, but it it did lead me to like starting the brand, and like I said, I, I'd started it as a as tricks or skateboards, thinking that like, oh, I'm really into skating, and eventually it. I realized I was really into into designing and entrepreneurship, and so it kind of it's the foundation really of Trickster Company, but it's also like uh, it was more the it was the the act of like creating this and playing with the idea of like of of that modernity traditional crossover. Um, and that's what this, the, that's what more what skateboarding kind of represents to me now in hindsight. That's a really interesting transformation, you know, going from, you know, maybe even taking it all the way back to college and you're getting a degree in anthropology. You move back to Juneau um, and you get into skateboarding and you think I'm going to start a skateboard company. But then you realize through that process that you're really into the the art and then also this juxtaposition between kind of maybe modern Western culture and then also ancient Alaska native culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that sounds true. Was there a point when you realized that you weren't as much into skateboarding as you were that other part of it, the artistic part of it. Mm. That that turnaround sort of um, came with the playing cards. It was like, you know, I had been looking at the market and it's like, I want to, and then eventually came to that conclusion, I want to design a deck of playing cards and market that. And I was like, why is Trickster skateboards making playing cards though and so i was like trying to like figure out what that meant in my head and mm -hmm. um one thing that i've always felt like with trickster company is it's not necessarily that i was like driving trickster company i, I didn't have like a vision for it and i just like you know went step by step to bring it to where it is today as much as um trickster company it was something that I kind of followed along and it had its own momentum and mm -hmm. I just had to keep up. So um, one thing about Trickster in our traditional stories, Trickster is Raven and one of his abilities is that Raven can transform. And so he transforms into like different things and different stories. And so I was like, okay, it's okay. It's okay. Trickster skateboards can transform and become something else whenever it needs to. And I'll just keep up. Yeah. And um and i think so so that's when i made the playing cards happen and i think that's kind of the moment where i was like i'm really enjoying brand building because a kickstarter campaign is like it's a huge marketing thing it's a huge like you get to do all the parts you get to like 
do product development, you get to do um, advertising, you get to do marketing, you get to do like, um, what's that called? What, like social media outreach where you have like people help rep you. And like, I got to think about the, the cost of production and figuring out wholesale, figuring out the markets, the whole, the whole, it's like a mini entrepreneurship package in one. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I like thoroughly enjoyed it. And, um, so that, that was really, that was really when I, when I started to figure out that it was more about design and entrepreneurship than, in, than necessarily about, um, uh, skateboarding. Throughout this process, how often are you surprised by it? <laughs> um, I think the, 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 the best surprises are, are the moments where I, in a, in a candid situation, I see the products being used the way that, like, I hope they'll be used. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'll just be, um, I, I got a call from, from someone one time and they're like, yeah, I was just driving. I was an anchor, she's an anchorage and she's like, I was just driving down the road and I saw this, this young native kid just like with a trickster company basketball walking down the road. Like, and that's just, it was, it was the simplicity of, of, of it, like of being engaged with the culture. That's the, the simplicity and innocence of it, like without it having to be like over conflated to like, um, or there's a lot of like stress about, uh, there's a lot of stress because of colonialism. And so like recovering from colonialism, like what is post-colonialism. And so there's a lot of like, uh, like language revitalization. There's, there's, you know, learning all of your stories. And so, you know, being engaged with the call, going to, going to ceremonies and doing those properly, learning how to, there's a lot. And sometimes that can be like really overwhelming to be like, okay, we, we gotta like be engaged with the culture and save it and save the language and whatnot. And that's like a huge, like heavy weight for, I think a lot of, um, uh, young native people, but it's like, I think it's important to have those those simple moments of like engaging with the culture, just just that simple, like mm -hmm. just walking down the road with 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 something that represents that that you're excited about being engaged with native culture or art, like um, those those kind of moments are like are my favorite, like surprise moments. I don't know if that's the surprise you're asking, but like those, those are my, my favorite moments. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm interpreting from that is, is it surprising and also fulfilling when you see that this thing that you've created has taken on a life of its own? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same as with like the skateboards earlier. Like if someone's using it and it's getting, you know, a little bit scratched up or something, it's like, it's, it's fine. As long as it's like, it's, it's living its life as an art piece out in the world. Mm -hmm. So getting into the products that Trickster creates and sells, what can you tell me about the metal work that you do? Mm, yeah. Um, I do a lot of, uh, I guess, silver smithing, uh, and it's, it's always been kind of like a hobby, although for a while during the start of 
Matrix or Company, it was a bit of a crutch. Like I definitely sat in the studio and made hundreds of pieces to like <laughs> make sure that the that the bills were paid and we had like you know money to pay the team and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd I'd say I describe it more as as a hobby. Um, one characteristic of um, of Raven Trickster is is that Ravens really like shiny things, and I think I just sort of fall into that like that archetype really hard mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to shiny things. So I like to be able to make you know some blingy stuff. I think it's also like I think it's a clinket thing in general too. A lot of clinket art, if you look at or if you study it, is it's really about representing, and so, and representing wealth too. Like it's uh, all of our pieces have our clan crest on it, and so it's we literally wear on our sleeves. Like this is who we are, mm-hmm. and um, the more blingy you can make it, the more like kind of um, <laughs> like indigenous cred you can get. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's it's just like a I don't know so jewelry making to me is sort of like a natural like hobby for for doing that. You also sell these really tiny prints and tiny stickers. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to make them so small? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, let me start with why I started. I I do make those, and I I I started this this Patreon. Like and that was right, right after the pandemic had started, and um, I wanted a way to like, you know, that was the first like you know six months where everyone was like really isolating and everyone um, felt that sudden like disconnect from everybody. So I mm-hmm. wanted to be able to have some way to like keep connecting with uh, with the people that have supported my arts over the years, the like, uh, customers, patrons, and so that's when I created that. And I had, I had done a couple of these tiny stickers before that. Um, I don't know. I just thought they were cute and fun and, oh, here it is. There's another reason. Um, it was a practical reason too. It was not a very exciting one, but I, I had at the, at the time I was dating who the person who is now my fiance and she lived down south, so I wanted a product that I could also easily pack and sell anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Because mail can get really expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to do a couple of um, pop-up shops down in... So she's she's from um, the southwest, uh, Diné, and so I go visit her there, and then... I'd try and make a business trip out of it as well to help pay for it. And um, so I'd, sometimes I'd set up like, I'd set up and do some artist markets there, but like trying to bring leggings down there, like you have to bring like all the sizes, trying to bring prints down there. You have to figure out how not to get them folded or, or bent. Um, it, it was a huge, like, it's really difficult to do, to travel with um, product, like a, a variety of product. And so, the tiny prints and tiny stickers were like manageable way to, to do that. And can you explain what, what's on those tiny stickers and tiny prints? Yeah, it's, 
for the it's a variety of things. I I think um, you know it's nice to be able to engage with with my customers through Patreon, but also the other idea was that um, is that while while engaging them, maybe they could also support my my development and training. And so a lot of the designs that I put on these things are more on the experimental side of, of my work. So um, they're, they're either from my sketches. So every day I do, I try to most days like train. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like really into anime and it's like one thing that like a lot of the like Shonen Jump shows have it's like it's always like some character that wants to be like the best at their thing and they want mm -hmm. to like train like it's always some kind of training montage and like they're like going out there and getting it and i'm like okay that's 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 what i gotta do i gotta go out there and get it so i yeah try and like train every day and so that's where a lot of these concepts and and artwork comes from and it kind of helps me afford to put that time aside and do that so like um you know if, if if I'm if I'm getting paid to like, if I can take a design out of the series of drawings that I do every day, and um, develop it into a product and develop it into stickers, and then later I develop them into into pins that Trickster Company sells, um, they can help me keep keep working because it's hard to keep working and to develop yourself. Like it's takes a lot of time to train and like get better at things and learn new skills. Um, and it also takes a lot of time to like keep making products and, and make sure that the bills are paid and whatnot. Um, so it's, it was sort of an attempt to try and overlap those, those two needs. So when you're, you're training, as you call it, you're working on these, these tiny prints and tiny stickers, or are you working on, other things, you know, to keep yourself sharp. I'm working on other things. So okay. it's, it's actually a mix. So I do like, um, gestural figure drawing. I do, I'm, I'm trying to break into like going from just focusing on 2d design to, to sculptural design. So, um, I, I, some of it's like just literally sketching drawing or some of it's actually like using computer programs like blender to like do 3d models on my computer and like um of of these other artworks that i'm imagining um and then i i try and pick so like when the time comes around that i need to make a new sticker or print i i usually have an idea of which one would lend itself well to a sticker or print and or or it is, or or I want to showcase something like a a new skill I learned and I want to showcase it and then I'll I'll put that as a sticker or print.
I wanted to ask you about the bolo tie. Oh yeah. In in my mind, a bolo tie is associated with cowboys. You know, with states like Arizona and Texas. Is there a story behind <laughs> that product? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that comes back to me being engaged to a Diné woman um, okay. from the Southwest. Uh, I think there's. You know, there's definitely an interesting history there where um, I think if you look at in Southeast Alaska, there's a lot of history of like of native people and and non-Western immigrants. A lot of us ended up in kind of like the fisheries, cannery industry. Um, and, and I think there's some parallels with the Southwest where uh, where where minorities ended up in, in kind of ranching and um, that similar like living off the land kind of like developing it. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is, there is, I, I can't speak too much for Diné people and their, their relationship with like um, ranching and that kind of thing, but I, it's definitely a pervasive, pervasive part of their lives. and. So a lot of their um, a lot of their modern material culture kind of like in, in influ is influenced or overlaps with it, um, and so uh, my fiance Brittany, her uncle makes bolo ties and does like leather braiding, which is the that leather part of the bolo, um, and he always like he goes to markets. He's an amazing jeweler, uh, Leonard Jean. And, um, but he also makes those leather braiding and sells that to other artists at the market. So I picked a few up and was like, I got to try this out. How often, if at all, are you thinking about your life and your upbringing when you create art? <laughs> um, I want to say that I, I, I don't really think about my life and upbringing, but I, I would, I wouldn't deny that it like, it's it's absolutely influenced by it. Like, okay, I I don't think I don't think my work would be the nature of what it is if if I had been raised otherwise. You know, like I my um, when I was growing up, my my grandmother her name is Rosita World. She's a doctor of, a doctorate of anthropology. She does like um, all kinds of amazing work across the state and is is super like an intellectual person that's doing things and so all the time i spent with her like she was always always kind of training me and to to think mm -hmm. and so um that i think that methodology of, of thinking critical thinking about things is is always there and is almost like a a, a core value that i work from in any of, of my work and it's not, it doesn't really feel like I'm like sitting there, like writing an essay each time I make a piece. Um, it's usually more like an excited feeling of like, I, I feel this issue and then I, I could, I'm excited cause I could, I could react to that with this, with this product or piece in as a reaction. What kind of issues are you looking at? 
Um, there's a, a project that I'm working on. It's, it's not out yet, but it's a, I'm making, I'm developing another, a, another brand with the idea of representing indigenous, indigenous wealth. Um, I think that what for that one is example, like the problem is, is more of this idea of like, of the stereotype of indigenous people being, being poor or, or just like being, you know, savages in the woods or whatever. Um, and, you know, you could say that these stereotypes are not really out there, but like, I've seen like some, some like modern artworks that portray us that way, you know, that are, that are coming out now. So it's, it is something that's still around. And, mm -hmm. um, so, but I think that, um, you know, especially as a, as an artist, I have the opportunity of like really seeing what our traditional wealth was, um, for clinket people, like it's, it's, it's really, like I mentioned before, it's, it's really blingy. It's like, we're out there. We're like, we're, you know, dancing in these like chokat robes that like take an entire year to weave, you know, or we're wearing silver and gold jewelry with our crests on it to like mm -hmm. flash who we are. And, um, so it's, but I think, you know, any tribe you go to, you look at their, um, look at the things that they're proud of in their material culture or their artwork and you'll see like exorbitant amounts of, of, of wealth represented there. You know, it may not be exactly traditional. I mean, a Western interpretation of wealth, like, um, and it may not even translate. Like I think beadwork is, is an example, is an example of that. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's like, it's, it's super intricate. It's like, when it, uh, it's beautiful. It's like, you can't, you can't replicate that with like, with just machinery and, um, but like Western society, it doesn't translate I don't think artists that be get the value that they deserve out of each art piece. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's artists that do, but like, um, I think overall the, the industry is undervalued there. Um, so for this project, I really want to like, explore that like what is what is indigenous luxury wealth as opposed to like um in opposition to that issue of like oh we're a lot of natives are just poor based on western standards can you give me an example of how you would depict that um so for me it's the the whole brand is it's going to be it's going to be focused on like the, the quality and the design and, um, and the presentation as well. So it's gonna, you know, I, I a lot of times when I had to create products, um, it's a balance of like, okay, what, what are the manufacturing restrictions? What are the, um, what is our financial restrictions? What are the, the market restrictions of like, you know, who's at a certain point people are going to stop, paying, you know, X amount of dollars for a deck of cards. So like, there's a lot of, of balance in there. And I, I think, um, w with this brand, I would like to really focus on the things that, uh, 
without having to worry about those things and just be like, this is, this is, you know, this is what I've been taught as a formline artist, as a Tlingit uh, artist, how to represent wealth. And it's, it's, I'm not holding back. Like, mm -hmm. this is like, like maybe fully uh, 3D printed bracelet. So it's like sculptural form line with like, with, with gems set in it, you know, something that's like very flashy. <laughs> I read that your products are created to be accessible to non-native or non-clinket people as well, so that everyone has an opportunity to celebrate the art, to appreciate the art without appropriating the art. How much thought goes into combating cultural appropriation? Mm. Yeah. Whenever people, there's, there's a lot of times where people were like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Can I, can I, can I buy this tie that you guys design? I love how it looks, but I don't want to like appropriate it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always let them know that like, that's, that's the advantage of like working with a native artist or supporting native artists, buying from native businesses is, is that they're not going to like, they're not going to set you up to like fail there, you know, cause, cause mm -hmm. that also reflects on them. You know, I'm not going to like yeah. take things that are inappropriate for someone else to wear and sell it to them and be like, no, you can't wear that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, like, <laughs> it's not a economic model that works one. Yeah. And two, like, you know, we're raised with a culture. So like we know how to like, to, to navigate it in a way that's appropriate for other people to enjoy it without it, like, without it being stepping on the wrong places or, um, taking something sacred and, and, and not treating it the way it should be treated. Um, so a lot of my design work is, uh, I, I avoid clan crests. I, I try to use generic, um, designs or or stories that don't you know represent stories that don't necessarily belong to a clan but maybe they'll belong to like uh like the box of daylight story is like everybody along the pacific northwest coast we all tell that story and so you know that one's okay for me i feel okay sharing that story with other people um or just you know playing off stories um how, how do they how do they reflect off of me as a modern indigenous person um, in particular. So I'm, this time I'm referencing like Star Wars. I've got a lot of Star Wars art because I grew up watching Star Wars every day after school. And so like, and and so that's just me kind of reflecting a story that was like shown to me and then like putting it back out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I think that's, those are good ways that um, non-native people can enjoy that without without, you know, risking doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. What does cultural appropriation look like to you? Okay, so there's there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of forms of it. So, um, but I think it comes down to taking from another community that's not your own. And actually, I'm going to stop it there. It's taking from, it's, it's, it's taking from another community or, or culture. Um, 
And I think there's, I, th I think that's why it's a lot easier to avoid than people realize is because, you know, why, why take something when there's somebody willing to share it with you, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah. um, like it, it's, it's a lot more opportunity and it's a lot richer to like have something shared with you. Cause like, how do you, how do you get something shared with you is you have to like actually develop a relationship and you actually have to respect that, that person and, and their, their, their community, their culture. And, um, you get a lot more out of it. You know, you don't just get like the, that, um, surface level that, that, um, you know, that one art piece or that design or whatever, you don't get just that you get to learn about why it's important to, to, to the culture, you get to learn the roots of it, you get to learn the history of it. And, and I think, in a in a like post like amazon.com world, like I think people want that, you know, they want things that actually have meaning and significance, um, not just a random product anymore. I want to ask you about the, the stamp you designed for the United States Postal Service, the one you mentioned a little earlier. The design is based on a traditional clinket story called Raven and the Box of Daylight, right? Mm -hmm. What is that story? Um, I'm just going to give you like a, an abbreviated rundown of it, but I think, mm -hmm. uh, I really encourage listeners to, if they can, first off, like try and get the opportunity to have a storyteller, you know, get to listen to it from a storyteller. Um, I wouldn't define myself as a storyteller. I, that's a whole nother skill set. And if they can't do that, there are there are recordings online of it. Um, there, there is some, I did post, a, I did um, commission a storyteller to tell it and that recording is on my website. Um, but it's a story about this earlier time in the world when there's, there's no light out there and all the light sources are held by this one, um, this one clan leader in in his house he has these three boxes the box of the stars the box of the moon box of, of daylight and uh it's basically a big heist story where he um learns about it and then and then kind of infiltrates the household and then and then steals those those items <laughs> and it's 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 much better told by a storyteller <laughs> but um it's it's sort of a kind of like a creation story yeah and and what is the significance of the graphic on the stamp yeah i chose a part of the story in particular where the moment that raven kind of steals the sun the last thing he steals mm -hmm. and it's the kind of the, the peak of the story where like he's stolen these things and he's like trying to escape now. And so it's that, it's like the getaway scene. And so to me, it's kind of like an exciting part of the story where, where a lot happens. Like, um, 
I, I wanted to showcase that bit of drama, like the that that I think is relatable cross culturally. It's, it's, there's mm -hmm. like in a, in a good story, there's like there are those moments of like of 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 um, the climax of the story, you know, and so it's sort of at that point where like he's on 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 the verge of either success or failure he's like trying to trying to transform back from um a human figure form that he was in um when he was in the household to the raven form you know grabbing the the sun and maybe there's some stars still strewn across the house like from when he let those go earlier he's grabbing as much as he can and like um, is trying to fly out of there. It's a little bit frenzied in that moment, and I wanted to, I wanted to make it like accessible and cross-cultural, uh, you know, like so that so that people could could feel that excitement as well. So people could know that like we're not, you know, we're we're different people, but we're not too different you know we have some of these like same things that we can that we can bond over mm -hmm. do you know if this stamp is sold throughout alaska or is it nationwide it's nationwide what effect do you hope the stamp might have on people across the nation i chose that that story in particular because it is such an accessible story it is like um broadly told one and my goal was really just that like you know one hopefully people just enjoy it and then two maybe they realize that like that we're out there i'm just representing like clinky people like we're here like mm -hmm. we're, we're doing cool things up here and you know it's it's worth looking at what we're all doing not just me but like the community um, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, two or three people that are more that don't know anything about clinky people, like actually look up the story and are, are inspired to learn more about, about other cultures. Mm -hmm. You also created a graphic for the Anchorage Daily News last year for Native American Heritage Month called Eagle Raven Calling. Can you describe that design for me? Yeah. So that design was kind of a, a, a field of, of flowers with an eagle head and a raven head kind of peeking out of them. And it's got these like lines coming out of them that kind of like indicate sound lines, maybe like, like they're yelling um, or calling out. And so that's, that piece is sort of um, just a, play on the idea of, of I was making a design for a newspaper, you know, like they're calling out, they're sharing information. Mm -hmm. um, and it also represents um, uh, two, two sides of my family. Um, the, the floral work is, is more of that Athabascan side, and then the, the form line parts are more of the clinket side. You know, what I've gathered here today is that your art isn't just art. It's a representation of your culture, and when it's out in the world, it acts as a form of identity, preservation, and even education to those who don't know about it. Does that sound about right? Yeah. 
I think that's pretty accurate. Considering those things, identity, preservation, and education, what do you think has been your most significant or effective piece of art? Mm. Um, wait, can we, can we step back one question real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I think that's, I think that's right. And I, I would say that I, I don't know if, um, preservation is exactly the word, but it's close. Okay. Um, cause I don't think it needs to be like preserved kind of the way that like, kind of the way that I view art has its life and it doesn't need to be preserved. It just lives its life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the same way about like, it's not about like preserving culture or art or anything. It's more about like celebrating it, um, and celebrating, letting it live and be modern and traditional, maybe celebrating instead of preserving. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So considering those things, identity celebration and education what do you think has been your most significant or effective piece of art okay um i mean the one right off the bat that is most obvious i think is the stamp there's like there's 18 million copies made that are you know like that go all over the world essentially that's like you know I know it's, I know most people are just going to glaze over it when they're going through their mail or whatever, but like, um, that's a, that's a pretty big audience all at once, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, I feel like that's the obvious one and I don't know if I can do this, but I, um, as I kind of talked about the, the luxury, like brand i also kind of talk about like trickster company is like these are these are specific individual to me they're kind of art projects on their own um projects for sure um but i think the the momentum that i see in in trickster company becoming getting out there you know whether it's through a pair of leggings or, or a basketball, like, um, I, I see it reaching out to a lot of people and I'm pretty proud of the, the level of kind of cross-cultural engagement we've had on that. And, and not, and outside of cross-cultural is, you know, the, the excitement that I see once in a while with like, um, native youth just enjoying having something with native art that, that relates to their life uh, that they can engage with. So looking at where you are now with Trickster, how do you feel about the process that led you to where you are now? And it, it sounded like earlier in the conversation, it was this constantly evolving process. It's always felt like a really natural process to, to go from one step to the next and it's always been like a lot of, you know, there's, there's been, there has been a lot of transformation and um, I'm really blessed to have like a really supportive family as well. Who's really helped me make it what it is. My, my sister's a co-founder and 
my family uh, uh, in Anchorage kind of helps helps do distribution and and some of the finance stuff now and so it's it's always been like kind of this this natural progression and I, I it's always just felt yeah it just felt supernatural to go go through it you know there's there's been there's been phases where it's like where I'm like really into it and I just like you know work long hours for like months on end and then there's been phases where it's like I just feel like I'm dragging my you know just my footsteps are dragging and I, I can't I can't like get enough done to like make a business happen um but I've always known where those next steps that I was taking which direction to go in at least um yeah yeah I, I totally feel you on that I I feel like the the longer that I do these podcasts or you know my own company crude I have learned to appreciate those slow times because I know that those those overwhelming fast times are just around the corner. Yeah. That's that's a good way to put it. I mean, I think it's hard though in those in those slow slow times to like not feel guilty about not moving faster. Mhm. Um but that's a good perspective to remember is like you know, there are times where you have to move to survive and those are a different kind of difficult. Do you have any predictions on Trickster's next transformation? Uh, let's see. I mean, I, I imagine it'll be influenced by the fact that I've really been into um, 3D modeling and learning, trying to learn how to sculpt more. So I don't know, maybe there'll be more sculptural pieces than just graphic pieces. And... Um, that's got a lot of its own opportunities that I don't know what what could happen, you know, it could be jewelry, it could be toys. Um, I, I imagine it's probably going to stem from that, that kind of like the amount of time I'm putting into that. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Not knowing what's next, but knowing that, you know, if you're constantly in motion, then there will be something next. Yeah. Yeah, that that is something I feel confident about. Is I like I like making things, and I don't think that'll ever stop. So, and I like being creative about it, and I don't think that'll ever stop. So, there's always going to be something somewhere to explore out there. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit AnchorageMuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors.